Welcome to episode five of Future Imagined, our brand new Foresight podcast powered by MGS Insights. I'm Joe Lapore. I lead Global Foresight for North America. Today, we're going to explore a very big and far-reaching topic, what it means to be healthy and happy as we discuss the inside-out shift. We are in a critical turning point at the start of this new decade. We're rediscovering our world, questioning the rules around us and ourselves, and specifically what we want in our lives and what we don't. It's what's being referred to as the happiness reset. And while certainly this big change in our environment, being stuck inside of our homes, chained to our TV, our laptop, our phone, unable to see our family and friends, unable to take a much needed holiday, or worse, unable to work, it's easy to see why we've had this moment of internal reset. But like most of the other shifts we see shaping the next decade, this one has been a long time coming. We're incredibly lucky today to have four brilliant minds joining the conversation who will help us to explore how holistic wellness is evolving and what the future of wellness is beyond the physical. In this conversation, we'll discuss how our individual connection to our mind and mood, our connection to our community and locality, and our connection socially, tribally, online and offline has been reshaped and redefined. And of course, what challenges and opportunities this affords the food and snacks industry. My name is Dan Connor. I'm a brand strategist based in Sydney, Australia, and I work for TikTok. My name is Osher Hoberman. I'm the global head of business development for Mars Wrigley, and I'm based outside New York. It's Jess Southard, and I'm excited to be back. I lead our corporate foresight and innovation work at Mars. I'm Philip Ryan with Ipsos Strategy 3. I'm a partner and we're a brand and innovation consultancy within Ipsos and I'm based in Brooklyn, New York. So Phil, we ended with you and I'm going to start with you. When we talk about what healthy means for people these days versus the prior decade, what we've seen from a lot of research is that over half of consumers are citing being able to deal with things like stress as a definition of healthy or being able to have a an alert and a bright mind, but also being able to just relax and have a good time. The definition of healthy seems to be really evolving. How are you seeing this shift from the prior decade to this upcoming decade? I think it's exactly in line with what you've said. I think if we look at the past decade, when we thought of healthy, a lot of it was around are we getting enough exercise? Are we eating the right way? And there was a lot of, that was where the focus had been. And in the same time, there was a lot more emphasis on the idea of mental health and that coming to the fore and not being the stigma that had been in in decades past. And I think the shift that's happening now and moving into the decade coming is this idea of mental wellness, where it's just as important to take stock, take time out of your day to reset, to think about what you're doing as people start to integrate some of that Eastern philosophy into Western thinking and, and lifestyles. I mean, definitely what we can see is this sort of thinking about wellness beyond what I physically put into my body. So how calm I am and you know, thinking about how stressed I am or how happy I am. But what about just the, the physical aspect of wellness? Are there any changes that we're seeing in terms of health and diet and what people put inside of their bodies? I think one of the things is the language around it is changing, right? We're seeing more people talk about physical. We're seeing people talk about the idea of movement as being important, rather. It used to be exercise and fitness, and now we're seeing movement. When it comes to what we put inside our bodies, everything has a purpose now. So I will eat acai berries to give myself the right antioxidants. I will look for balance. And I think that's maybe one of the 
bigger shifts in, in that notion of balance. We, In the past, it was all about restriction, restrictive diets. And now we're seeing that idea of, in the same way, it's balance of everything around me. It's balance what I put inside my body. So I can indulge, but I can also restrain myself when I need to. People have their own system of checks and balances in terms of what they're allowing themselves to put into their body. I think that the other thing, building on that, you know, when you talk about language, a lot of new things are coming into the conversation when people are talking about health and wellness. The connection between your physical health and how you even approach your emotions is starting to become much more of a, a common conversation topic for people. So as this sort of connection is made by the general public and it comes into conversation around the connection of the mind my mood and my body. Osha, I'd love to know what some of those ways are that we're continuing to see that evolve um, and be redefined in the context of what healthy food and snacks are. It's exciting, Joe, to see how the conversation is starting to evolve. In particular, we're seeing consumers in treats and snacks start to think less about lifespan and more about health span. We're seeing a lot of the dietary interventions shift from things like calorie and nutrient restrictions to things like clean and simple, minimally processed foods and snacks. What we're really seeing is a meaningful increase in the level of supplementation to support things like mood and mind. So in particular, we know chocolate is a reward that's enjoyed in the evening. It's usually a personal indulgence. So we're starting to see fortification of things like melatonin. For things like stress, also in chocolate, we're starting to observe with a greater degree of frequency things like amino acids and botanicals such as chamomile being infused with chocolate. But what's interesting there is that the science doesn't always support the marketing story. So it's just a watch out when we look at opportunities from our vantage point. And then finally, it's it's worth talking a little bit about gum. The reality is that gum has always been a good delivery vehicle for things like supplementation and fortification. So we're starting to see gums that are enhanced with caffeine for things like mental acuity and alertness, specifically in the gaming community, but also among students. And then we're also seeing a rise in gums that are fortified with hemp-derived CBD for the purpose of calming effect and mood enhancement. Although, again, the scientific community and the regulatory community is perhaps a bit behind the consumer there. Yeah, I mean, functional food, I think, is a really great example of how the health and wellness space more broadly has really evolved inside of food. And now it's global functional foods are worth 260 Seven mil, I'm sorry, $267 billion. It's, it's even too astounding to pronounce correctly. Are you noticing that there's a, a blend uh, within that of foods that are offering me a functional benefit, whether it's an improvement into my physical state or my mental state potentially with enjoyment? I am. I think it's often we lose sight of the fact that treats have always been about fun and enjoyment and happiness. But we're also seeing many treats and snacks go beyond just these emotional benefits, as you mentioned. And, and three areas that I think I would call out that I'm seeing the most with the most frequency, I would say number one is we're seeing reformulations of very popular treats and snacks that leverage natural ingredients to further reduce things like sugar, trans fat, and salt. Secondly, we're seeing a much broader definition of treats and snacks than just the traditional industrial definition. So immersive experiences that bring high touch and high sensory experiences, virtual tastings, even educational immersions where people are learning where the food products come from and what the value chain looks like. So we're seeing a lot of this specifically in the chocolate category. And then I would say the last thing we're starting to see with a greater degree of frequency is treats and snacks that have a purpose at their core or their brand ethos. These are brands 
brands that are emerging in the space that embrace the values that align with very specific consumer groups or tribes, things like animal welfare, environmental or ecological impact, as well as human rights issues. So there's a lot of brands with purpose at the center of their ethos that we're starting to see really gain traction with consumers. And that's a really beautiful segue to what I'd love to explore a little bit more is that broader purpose beyond health and wellness that is sort of interconnected with this healthy mindset, healthy environment and healthy relationships. So all parts of my life working harmoniously together. Jess, I know that you and I have talked about this quite a lot. So beyond what we're putting inside of our bodies, what are some of those changes that you're seeing? So I think for me, you know, there's tremendous mind and body research that shows our environment can have a significant impact on how we think, on how we feel, but also our emotional, physical health, even stress and longevity. And so I think last year was really indicative of probably more subconsciously than consciously, people really tuning into that and taking little steps to sort of improve and enhance their environmental surroundings or their physical surroundings, but in doing so, nourish what was really needed inside them in terms of emotional and and mental health. A couple of examples. So people got rid of formal dining rooms basically ditched the formal dining rooms and reimagined and reinvented that space to something more comforting, cozy corners, sitting rooms, thinking rooms, meditation rooms, which again, I think signify sort of that broader realization of how your physical environments can impact your emotional and mental state. What people put on their walls. So we saw a resurgence of really vibrant prints with tropical leaves and floral wallpaper and this this nostalgia rooted in country living and old cottages. A lot of people bringing plants into the homes. I mean, huge resurgence in outdoor plants bringing inside. And I think all of those are sort of rooted in this overall calming effect that speak to the broader trend and this idea of taking control and reimagining your physical surrounding as a way to address what you probably need inside you. And biophilia, right? Biophilia, yes. (laughs) My favorite topic. (laughs) (laughs) And within that as well, Jess, we've spoken quite a lot around our relationships with people and how they're changing. Yes. So another really meaty topic, but a really big shift. I mean, if you think about the last decade, really we saw relationships become more quantitative in nature. And it was sort of this flurry and this competitiveness of how many friends do you have? And I think what we've seen over the last 12 months, and we see really accelerating moving forward, is a shift away from quantity of friends towards a much closer, more intimate network of friends and sort of relationships and connectedness. Jess, I'd love to jump in on a bit of that because a lot of this is around the reset on happiness. And I love going back and looking at history to understand the present. One of the areas I've been intrigued by recently has been the conflict between Stoic and Epicurean philosophy back in ancient Greece. And we keep talking about happiness as if it's the Epicurean thing, which is about minimizing pain and enjoying a good life. But all the language we're using borrows from that stoic area, which is about being kind, being generous. Less is more. And I'd love to know what people's thoughts are on that. Well, you know me. I mean, I love words and even just flipping through beauty magazines. I think beauty as a category is super fascinating and how that entire category pivoted to be one of more rooted in self-care. And so taking a much more positive, uplifting approach to the overarching category 
and a lot of the language being used definitely reinforces that shift. Yeah, I think what's really interesting as well within that is how young people have reacted during this time and what they've been leaning into. So we mentioned before around the visual medium and social media. And from research that we've seen, up to 74% of Gen Z and millennials are saying that they're turning to things like online videos and TikTok as medicine to treat their different moods. So we've definitely seen this relationship with how they consume content change, but also a huge opening up of how they connect and embrace the communities online. Both Philip and Jess have touched on this already. There is basically a breaking of the mold happening right now. People want a little bit more realness in the relationships that they have, not just through traditional media, but also with the people around them. It almost felt like you had to fight to be in a community in the past, but now you're kind of swept up by community unknowingly just by sharing the same values and interests and passions. And I think, you know, how they're finding each other is very interesting as well. What we're seeing specifically in the world of TikTok is communities are finding you. So Jess, you mentioned obviously the surgence of plants. Plant TikTok is one of the biggest subculture worlds that's happening here. I definitely fell into that hole as I kind of started greening up my place. And these are very uncommon communities that I would have tapped into the past. So I think the rise of the uncommon community is really what's going to kind of, you know, start to paint what the future looks like. These very kind of weird and wonderful worlds that we all knew were part of us, but never necessarily like had a channel to discuss or congregate around. And you know, what we're kind of doing together when we get here, I think the hardest part for me is distinguishing what is really a community and what's just an audience. I mean, I come from the world of media, so I, I deal with this a lot. You know, the hallmark trait for me um, that defines both is the generative nature of communities. So communities don't just consume stuff, they build stuff together. And I think that the communities are the ones that are going to keep these spaces positive and open as we move forward. Yeah, definitely. And one of the stats that I love is that 77% of people said that they tried something new or learned something new because of a TikTok online creator. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the benefit of this. We're in a weird time in the world where people needed a way to uplift their spirits. There's real people doing resin art. There's real people learning how to crochet. And that's what's magical about this kind of stuff is, oh, wow, there's a whole community that doesn't care if I'm perfect, is willing to teach me and is willing to kind of help me on the journey. And I think that's that's what kind of brings you back to that realness and reality. These human stories are what kind of allow us to relate and learn more. So this just becomes a new way of listening that we maybe never had in the past. Dan, I love the other thing you said as well, which is it's not just authentic and real, but you don't have to be perfect because nobody's perfect. And there's something that's on TikTok for sure on that, but also we're seeing in the workplace where people are bringing more of themselves to Zoom meetings and Teams meetings and not everything having to look absolutely perfect and buttoned up all the time, but it's still good. It's still great. It's effective. And there's something magical about that shift that's happened in the last year. I think one of the, the biggest hashtags on TikTok was real life at home. And one of the biggest positives out of 2020 and what's coming out for me for in that sort of real and rawness space is that now that pressure is sort of starting to come off when people aren't striving for that perfection, like what you were saying, Philip. They're striving to just be happy and be content in themselves. Dan, I'm wondering, are you seeing anything coming through that's quite new and different in people's attitudes to health and wellness in terms of exercise and food? 
Absolutely. One of the prime examples why I love the world of TikTok is you might think it's so funny that you just see a lot of people getting up and dancing, but that's a big reality and change in how people use mobile media today. It's not just passive anymore. You're getting families up off the couch and you're getting them moving around for hours as they try to kind of build these displays. So that has that kind of mental positive aspect, but it also is just unknowingly getting people moving. So I think that the catalyst and the behaviors that are happening within that space are just kind of helping it unknowingly in a way as well, too. I think it's a great example of that individual expression and creativity starting to come through and be really embraced. I'd love to go back just for a second to what we were talking about before and being able to really openly talk about mental health and wellness and this conversation being a lot more acceptable in the workplace, but also just, you know, with your friends and family and online. Osha, I'd love to know how you're starting to see mindfulness and mental health and well-being starting to come through in food. You know, it reminds me of an acronym that I heard recently, uh, SEEDS, which is, you know, socialness, education, exercise, diet, and sleep. I, I think that is a very interesting acronym because it starts to bring everything that I think I've heard this panel talk about together from trying something new to making sure that, you know, you take the time out of your day to just recharge and rest. And, you know, for me, that has always been a challenge. My mind is always racing. Um, so just being able to create an environment that I can get a good night's sleep or at least during the day just to recharge my battery, I think has been super important. And I think a lot of the products that we're seeing that are coming to market are designed around those elements, whether it's a physiological aspect of enabling those th those things or whether it's just more around emotional benefits or emotional well-being. I think sleep is another really important one. And we've seen, I think, sleep being leveraged quite well, whether it's in the vitamin space or in the tea category. And people are definitely noticing that the requirement of a good night's sleep and the impact that that has. It's one of those where... We always were told by doctors, you need to get a good night's sleep, but that's not who people are listening to now that we're seeing. That's what athletes are saying, right? You're seeing it across the spectrum. So it's just rising more in the conversation, right? And so you even look at a company like Casper, right? You know, they say they're not a mattress company, but a sleep company. So you see that type of conversation that's stretching across all aspects of different businesses. So it's not just CPG, but it's going into media, it's coming up, it's coming across other types of categories as well. And just, I think, sort of becoming more pervasive in our lives. The bit that's missing for me a little bit in it is that the idea of rest, right? So people talk about sleep, but rest is not actually getting as much. Even when people try to take those breaks, it's for a disconnect. But that idea of just being and resting or reading a book, some of that is what I think is missing a little bit from the conversation. That might be where the next shift happens, I think. I think part of this is very cultural and there's definitely some cultural nuances, but speaking from the U.S. And, and obviously the American culture, it's sort of been this rat race and it's all about productivity and it's all about comparison. And I think a lot of success and even our self-identities were very much defined by materialism, which forced sort of dual working incomes, career progressions, promotions. I definitely very personally have seen us as a householder trying to 
step away from that and carve out time to play with our kids. And now I think we're acknowledging, no, I'm going to feel good about this because it makes me feel good. It makes my children feel good. And it is a form of self-care. I'd love to quickly touch on what you mentioned there, Jess, because we do often talk about the US and it does sort of lead the way in a lot of areas. But I'd love to see how this is coming to life in other parts of the world. So for global health and wellness, for example, in food and nutrition, what we see is that Asia Pacific actually leads all of the growth. And China is the market that's expected to grow the most when it comes to fortified foods. Mm. In terms of some of the health and wellness changes and trends, uh, are we noticing anything outside of the US in terms of how that's coming to life or in which markets in that social media space, Dan? Yeah, I think what's changing are the voices of health and wellness. Again, it's back to kind of a more community bringing everybody up than necessarily always having to go to a very expert or medical opinion on this. I think that wellness is a much more human thing and sharing other people's stories is actually what kind of wakes you up to like, what are the tricks that work? An example of this is I'm hopeless when it comes to kind of managing my time. So until I you know, took somebody's advice to actually go and physically block out my diary with step away from the computer, turn off the, the work I am and, and go play the piano for an hour or something like that, I would just kind of get swept away with that. So I think the biggest change that, that we're kind of seeing is definitely the, the shift in voices when it comes for this. It's cool to be well now. It's not lame and it's not like you're um, going away and missing out on the bar nights and all that kind of thing. It's actually become cool to be well and healthy now. And I think that that's probably the biggest fundamental change beyond anything that's really shaping the world right now. That's really good to hear for the introverts in the room, myself <laughs> included. I'm going to switch gears and have a chat about, you know, what does this mean for the future? So what does the future first and foremost look like when we're talking about the vision for the industry inside of treats and snacks? So how are we starting to change how we approach it and how is our ambition evolving, Osha? First of all, you know, just to build off your previous question, I think one of the ways that our vision is evolving around treats and snacks is this idea that demand for treats and snacks is going to be much more granular in the future than it was in the past. So this idea of global brands that satisfy a range of consumer needs and consumer benefits, I think, is going to be um, something that we see evolve. Even within specific geographies, we would anticipate that consumers choose from a wider repertoire of brands to, to address different needs. I think there's going to be some universal consumer benefits that we're going to see emerge around things like free from, whether it's free from gluten or free from dairy. I would anticipate that functional enhancements around positive nutrients like protein will be something that emerges as well. So I think what will be different as well is going to be the way that consumers turn to food to address different needs. So using protein as an example, just the juxtaposition between the U.S. and China that we're seeing already is that in the U.S. we're seeing consumers start to adopt and choose more plant-based alternatives for protein sources, whereas in China, we're still seeing animal-based proteins as a key choice for protein supplementation. And then um, I would say the other thing that we're seeing differently is the permissibility cues across geographies. So you mentioned in India minutes ago, you know, we're seeing things that are baked in India carry a higher degree of permissibility just because it's made versus viewed as processed. So this idea of less processed is going to run varying levels of interpretation by geography. 
In the U.S., we're seeing products with a lot of different claims, and we're starting to see that move to being a better understanding of the transparency of the ingredients, which is almost very similar to what we're seeing in some of the emerging markets where they're actually starting from that point of view, which is, you know, how close to the original ingredients is the food that I'm putting in my body versus the level of claims and fortification. So um, I would say, Joe, that's my take on where I think the treats and snacks category is going. I think the demand is going to be a lot more granular. Consumers are going to have much more accessibility to products, a lot more information at their fingertips, and they're going to choose from a broader repertoire of brands than they did in the past. Joe, if I can piggyback off that, I think another one, in addition to the broader experimentation, which I definitely acknowledge and agree with, I think a blurring of categories. And I think a really interesting one for me is, you know, you talked about gut health, which is, has kind of been around for a little while, but it's really rooted in prebiotics, probiotics. But I think you're seeing that it's definitely more in the fringe, but people being able to connect a healthy inside to even things like skin health and in treating acne, getting rid of acne, helping with hair and hair growth, this inside out, very intuitive connection, which to me means even more blurring of category lines. You know, when we're talking about health and wellness and what people want to put inside of their food that they put inside of their bodies. There's this broader scope and umbrella now of sustainability, where it comes from, how it's made, who makes it, does it have a purpose? And I think one of the other things we've really noticed is natural and local and made with potentially health-packed native ingredients, but also just potentially, you know, more close to home. Kind of a light bulb in my head went off. You know, we've talked a lot about this shift in favor of imperfection and this idea of compassion and inclusivity. And if we think about what you're talking about in terms of some of those sustainability trends, a lot of them leverage design cues rooted in imperfection. And actually there's data that shows that calling something ugly or associating the term ugly with it, consumers actually perceive it to taste better and be healthier. So to me, an aha for me as we're talking is, you know, we've talked about physical well-being and just this overall broadening of health and wellness and embracing imperfection, how that's trickling all the way down to packaging and specific product design cues. Actually, you made another light bulb go off in my head, Jess, which was this idea of like, as we're not needing people to be perfect, um, we're not necessarily needing our food and what we put in our bodies to look perfect at any rate, but to be real. In some ways, we were restricted due to supply chain challenges with COVID, but it's also accelerating this idea of, I want something that has everything has come from within 90 miles of where I live. And there's something in that, in that it's fresher. I'm supporting my local community, which helps all of us grow and thrive. And there's something very powerful in that idea that I think is yet to be fully taken advantage of from different brands. There was one other thing that you'd mentioned as well, which is both Usher and Jess on the idea of category lines blurring. And I just think even the notion of treats, what is a treat? Like for me, my treat in the morning is getting up before my kids are allowed to leave their room and making myself a French press of coffee and sitting down and drinking that for five minutes before mayhem, you know, breaks out in the apartment. And that is a huge treat. And so what's that definition and how do we draw cues as well from other areas of treating in our lives to bring into all the great products you sell. 
I think that's something that we've seen huge in the world of content as well. The rise of the small indulgences, right? You've seen us just put greater emphasis and value on categories that the consumers are really driving the need for. And all it is, is I've been restricted somewhere else. So the value equation all of a sudden jumps up over here. Consumers are always going to be ahead of us in finding how to use these things for different ways. And it's how can you nurture that into a kind of business opportunity when it makes sense to do so. I think we're heading in the right direction by sharing more positive stories, inspiring more people to think about wellness in different dimensions. And because it's from the voice of somebody that they trust, it hits the ear a little bit different. There's this kind of connective state we can get to with people as well. More awareness of what we are doing helps us understand the habits we actually have because they are harder to spot right now because we're not out there in society being as visible as we were in the past. What a fantastic conversation and a big, big thank you to our guests again for joining us. I hope that you were inspired by the episode and it made you think about how we're redefining our lives. What kind of future are you able to imagine where our categories enhance, empower and embrace these new reevaluations of individual wellness from the inside out? In our next episode, we'll be exploring the last of the five shifts to the Transform Next Normal presence-free living. This one is going to be hosted by my super smart counterpart for Foresight, looking at global emerging markets, Sandeep Das. But for now, this is Joe beaming out. Stay curious. Stay curious.